This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Slowly just getting over the pain of yet more England heartache at a major tournament, but we're used to it, aren't we? Every, every time, but... Performance to be proud of, I thought, on Saturday night against France. Gave gave him a good go and just fell a little bit short, but we'll go again and fingers crossed, hopefully Euro 2024 will uh, will go one step further. Well, two steps further would be nice. Well, two steps um, further. But, but yeah, I know totally I mean. agree. I, I'm not, I was gutted at the time, I've, you know, twenty not quite 24 hours since it happened. I'm, I'm over it a little bit more because I just think they were unlucky. I, I don't think you can say that those defeats, that defeat last night against France was anything like the defeat against Croatia and Italy where they surrendered the initiative and they went backwards and you're questioning Southgate's in-game tactics. I think they were just very unlucky yesterday. I thought they were the better team for large portions of that game against the world champions. And unfortunately, at elite sport level, there was fine margins like blazing a penalty over the crossbar in what defined football matches. So I, I think this team, despite obviously finishing at a quarter's stage rather than the semi-final and the final from the two previous major tournaments. I think this has been England's best campaign under Southgate, personally. I would actually go as far to say I think last night might have been their best performance under Southgate when you consider the stage, the opposition and everything else that goes into it. So I definitely don't think this team has regressed, although they have obviously gone out slightly earlier, but you have to just factor in the level of opposition they played. This time in the... um, in the World Cup, they played, what, Sweden four years ago compared to the World Champions. So it's just not relevant, is it, that it's the quarters rather than the semis or the final, to be quite honest. You've got to consider everything else. However, away from the World Cup, George, plenty of championship football finally after four weeks off, which we're going to get our teeth into for the next hour or so. So, of course, thank you for listening and make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed where you can get this podcast every single week on all your usual platforms and make sure you're following us on twitter and instagram at champ chat pod 24 and a huge thanks to our sponsors cards accepted for supporting the podcast this season if you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. they provide a discount on the rrp of all sum up devices so make sure you go and check them out massive thanks as always to them for their support of the podcast this season and of course on today's pod we're going to be back analysing championship action after another busy weekend of championship football. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And George, I think the obvious place to start from my point of view is at Ewood Park, which was the early kickoff between Blackburn Rovers and Preston North End. And if you thought Blackburn losing 3-0 to Burnley before the break was a derby demolition, Preston said, hold my beer, and absolutely bullied and battered Blackburn Rovers from minute one running out 4-1 winners at Ewood Park. And let's focus on Preston first and foremost, because as bad as Blackburn were, and we'll come on to that, Preston were fantastic. Best away form in the Championship, which I think probably went under the radar when I was doing my research for the match. Obviously, I know how good Blackburn's home form is. It was uh, the second best going into the weekend, although best points per game-wise. They played one game less than Burnley, I think it was, who had the best. But against Preston, they've got the second best away form. I'm not quite realised how big that disparity was between home and away form with Preston. Although some of the performances at home have been better than the points have yielded, away from home they've been really good. And they were the best team from minute one in this game. And when you consider as well, they had six senior players missing. 
No Emil Reese, no Robbie Brady, no Andrew Hughes, no Alan Brown, uh, Sean Maguire as well, Troy Parrott, or, although a long-term absentee, he's still not playing either. And you looked at that team, and obviously as someone covering Blackburn Rovers, I looked at the Preston side and thought, that's got to be three points. But Preston were brilliant. Chad Evans bullied the back three of Hayden Carter, Dom Hyam and Scott Warm. In particular, Hyam and Wharton, he, he dominated them. He was a bully, he was aggressive. He's probably more mobile than I think people give him credit for. And he was fantastic. I thought Daniel Johnson bossed the centre of midfield. It looked back to the sort of form that we saw from Daniel Johnson, what, 18 months ago when he was scoring all those goals and he was getting linked with moves elsewhere. Form has definitely dropped off a lot in the last 12 months. And that looked him back to his best. He was fantastic. Pulling the strings as a as sort of a number 10. He was absolutely fantastic. The touch for the fourth Preston goal is fantastic, where he hit back heels it into the path of Ben Whiteman, who strikes at goal. And they were fantastic. They pressed really well. They were aggressive. They were hungrier. And it was everything that Ryan Lowe or, or any championship manager would want from a derby performance. They took the chances. They were clinical. And 4-1 did not flatter them one bit. Huge win for them. And it moves them up to fourth in the championship standings as well. So... Just a fantastic afternoon for Preston North End, backed by over 4,500 in that away end as well in the, Dar- in the Darwin end. It was a fantastic day for, for the Lillywhites. Certainly was. It was a result that I actually didn't see probably till a couple of hours after the game. Actually, I was out on, on Saturday lunchtime and, and didn't want to check my phone. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. And, you know, like I do, check your coverage. Had a little little glimpse. I actually saw beforehand that you'd tweeted about Preston missing some key players and I thought, yeah, Blackburn probably got a good chance to get another home win on the board, but wow, what an away win. And I mean, Chad Evans is the man of the moment at the minute. What form he's in, five goals in his last four, uh, last three games. I make it five goals now in just six league starts that he's actually started games this season. You know, he's he's almost rolling back the years. He's 34 at the end of this month. And at the minute, he's, he's acting like a man possessed. Two goals and assist on Saturday. And Ryan Lowe seems to have got a real tune out of him at the minute when obviously these other key players missing. Obviously, Emil Reese was a huge loss seemingly at the start of play on Saturday and you did wonder if that would affect them, but clearly not. And Chad Evans, as I say, five in three, assist as well on, on Saturday at Blackburn. And what form he's great he's in at the minute, but you know, overall, a bigger picture, what form Preston are in right now? That's four wins in five games, up into the playoff places. And, you know, at the start of the season, I, I tipped Preston to make strides under Ryan Lowe. And, and I think I tipped them just to finish outside the playoffs. If I remember rightly, I think I had them down in seventh. I'm just getting my, just getting predictions up now. It and it was that you put just inside. It was actually ninth I had Preston in, so a little bit further down. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit higher, but it was ninth. And, you know, they may still finish ninth. Who knows, long way to go. But at the minute, I mean, what form they're in. Like you said, they're away form, the best in the division. And I think the thing for Preston now is, you know, even though they lost 4-2 to Millwall prior to the, to the break with the World Cup, they're starting to score goals now at a better rate. That's the thing for me. I've obviously, I've struggled so much at the start of the season where obviously it was just that, that sequence of nil-nil draws and narrow 1-0 wins. They're now starting to find the net on a more regular basis. And if Ryan Loken, you know, potentially add to his squad in, in January, who knows what they could do? Because I do think, you know, Ryan Lowe is a manager that's very, you know, he wants to play on the front foot. He wants to get bodies in and around the box. He wants to play an entertaining brand of football. And judging by the highlights I've seen, probably amounting to, I don't know, six or seven minutes of the game on Saturday, 
that kind of epitomised the Ryan Lowe team from what I thought. And obviously you were there, you saw the whole game. I've seen literally less than 10 minutes of a highlights package. Would you say it was a culmination of a little bit of both of Blackburn being that bad or Preston that good? Or was it a case of literally Preston were that good? They were really, really no, impressive. No, I think that's a nice segue. Blackburn were absolutely awful. Now, so Pre- that Preston were very good, don't get me wrong. But Blackburn were uh, the Blackburn were, were horrific. This was worse than the Burnley defeat for me, and I've wrote as such this morning. And it's back-to-back defeats in derbies. Now, of course, there's a four-week break between. But I actually think that makes it worse because they've not turned up in either. Now, from, yeah, from my it, point of view, to not, to not, it's one thing to be playing poorly, and it happens. You're not going to play 46 games of championship football where you play your best free-flowing football. It's not going to happen. But you make yourself difficult to play against. You win your 50-50s. You compete. You play percentage football a little bit. Work your way into the game. They were absolutely abysmal. The midfield was non-existent. Lewis Travis and probably had his worst game in a Blackburn Rovers shirt, as you saw him getting robbed in possession for the second goal. And what makes the second goal even worse, which people won't have seen unless you were at the game, is they've just come out for half-time, and the first thing that happens, bearing in mind how bad they were first half, is Dom Hyam plays a blind back pass, Daniel Johnson intercepts it, and it, it just bobbles not quite right for him. It goes out for a goal kick. So that's you've just got away with one, one minute into the second half. And literally from that same goal kick where the clip starts on the highlights, Kaminsky into Travis, gets dispossessed on the edge of his own box, dawdling. Let's be fair, it wasn't a an unha- you know, it wasn't an unkind pass. He got plenty of time to deal with it. It was just poor from Travis. Gets robbed. Johnson, really good play, squares it, Ched Evans, you're 2-0 down, literally about 72 seconds into the second half. And I also want to say Yondal Thomason got his tactics absolutely wrong. So when I say that Blackburn were second best on the day, I mean in the dugout as well, because I thought he got his tactics completely wrong. And they just looked unsure on their jobs in and out of possession. You had got one team in Preston that looked well-drilled, that looked hungry, that looked aggressive and knew what they were meant to be doing. Blackburn just did not know where they were meant to be at what times. Thomason talks all the time about rotations and fluidity. And that's one thing, but if you if if players don't know where they're meant to be or you've got no structure whatsoever, take the first goal. Now, you're playing 3-5-2. Ryan Hedges is playing right wing back, but he's not really. He's essentially just drifting where he wants. So Hayden Carter has essentially got to be the right back to offer any sort of width on the right-hand side. Now, that first goal comes because Blackburn are playing out of the back. Carter is obviously on the far side playing as a right back, so there's a switch of play. And because they give it away, two passes and Bed Woman's in on goal because he goes straight through that gap between Hyam and Carter. But Carter's obviously, he can't play right back and be playing as a centre-back at the same time. And Blackburn have got possession. So if you're going to give it away and you're going to be that wide open, you're going to get absolutely murdered in transition. And that's what happened for the first goal. The second goal was playing, I wouldn't even blame playing out from the back. It's just poor midfield play from Lewis Travis. The third goal, I thought, was a really nice, well-worked goal from Preston, in fairness. I would say that was a very good goal, albeit Scott Wharton got bullied in the air by Chad Evans. But that, that was a nicely worked goal, as was the fourth goal, albeit, again, it came from Blackburn giving the ball away just, just over the halfway line, and then Preston worked it really well. So I want to give plenty of credit to Preston. They were really good, and they, they were clinical, and they were the better team. 
But Blackburn were abysmal and it was a real concern for me because you've you've turned in your worst performance of the season against Burnley, which is their biggest derby by a mile. You have had four weeks to stew on it, same as the fans, and to not come out and show any sort of aggression or fight or just the ability to match your opponent. Forget football, just in terms of hunger, desire, 50-50, second balls, they were nowhere near it from the first whistle. And that is the biggest concern for Yondar Thomason, in my opinion. You know, I think what makes it obviously worse is the fact that you've been saying, Annie, for quite a while that this World Cup break was going to, you know, almost spur us on to be even better. It was going to, you know, we were doing so well before it, we were going to get even better after it. And the worst thing you want to do, even though obviously you've you've admitted you can't get everything right every every game in the championship, but you know, to, to lose four one at home in a derby and in such a manner that was so poor, it doesn't exactly bode well, does it? And yeah, admittedly Blackburn overall, you know, they they've had a good season so far for, you know, what they were and obviously a new manager coming in, a very young, youthful team. They have had a good start to the season. But when you've kind of, you know, played on, not played, but sort of lent on the idea that you're going to be better after this break, you come out and lose 4-1 in the first game after, you know, four weeks without a game, it's, it doesn't exactly bode very well. So, you know, it, it's not as if he can, you know, suggest that he's still got key players away at the World Cup or something like that. You know, everybody was there. Nobody from that Blackburn squad was selected to go to Qatar for any of the 32 nations. It's just quite damning, so, isn't it, when you've had two weeks is. on the training pitch to come out and genuinely yeah. look more disjointed and unsure yeah. on what the manager wants. Especially after what happened in that last game prior to the break where Blackburn, let's be honest, you know, they, they were torn to parts. Torn to parts, torn to bits, I should say. You know, especially in that second half at Burnley. So, you know, it's 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 not good. It's not the way that, you know, want to get back into the swing of things after a few weeks without any action. But it's the Championship. We know what it's capable of doing. You've got to credit Preston. You must credit them for what they've done because, you know, they're in good form themselves. So, it's not as if they've rocked up and pulled off a, a major, major shock out of the blue. They have been in good form. But, you know, for Blackburn now... They've they've got some big big games coming up. To be fair, I mean, Norwich you take away. out lovely half five kickoff next week for me. Nor- I know Norwich away next Saturday, and then you've obviously you've got the the League Cup tie Forest in the week before you know leading up to Christmas. Then you've got the the league resumption on on Boxing Day, Sunderland away, and then mm-hmm. Middlesbrough at home, who of course are flying at the minute, and we'll talk about them. So you know it, it's not the easiest of ends to the year for Blackburn. They're facing teams that are you know gathering a little bit of momentum or on an upward trajectory. So it's going to be so, so key how they respond. Because obviously, you know, even though the big gap in between doesn't make it feel like it's it's happened so quickly, they have lost back-to-back games conceding seven goals, scoring just one. It, it, it is a concern and they've got to try and address it quickly. But, you know, we'll end this segment. Full credit to Preston. They, they were excellent. Ryan Lowe's doing a really good job there. And I really, I really do think, you know, in what he's as we've said for weeks and weeks and weeks, he's going to be a very wide open playoff race. I don't see any reason in Preston. You know, if they can just add maybe just a dash of magic at the top end of the pitch in in January, I think they could be very much in the conversation. Yeah, completely. I think they they will need, in my opinion, to get a strike through the door in January in order to be a top six contender. But I was very impressed with how they played with so many players out at Ewood Park. Queen's Park Rangers nil, Burnley free, George. This, of course, was the Sunday game, one o'clock kickoff, and Burnley were dominant. And if we're talking about a team that did look 
well-drilled, organised, like they'd spent two weeks on the training pitch with their manager and benefited. It was Burnley and Vincent Company, and they were already looking a very well-oiled machine before the break anyway. But they look even more succinct, a lot more drilled in the patterns of play after after a period on the grass with their Belgian boss. Uh, they absolutely dominated this game in truth. There was some controversy opening at the opening goal, though, where Jack Cork rode a challenge from um, Dazelle after a quick one-two around the corner, and he appeared to apologise as if he dived. Not, I don't think he dived, but I think his momentum took him over rather than it being a foul, and the replay certainly suggested that. But the referee had already blown and given the free kick, obviously to rub salt in the wound. Uh, Johan Gudmundsen sticks it into the top corner as well. Lovely free kick across. It was semi Dieng's side. And I always think the goalkeeper has to be slightly to blame or certainly has to have questions asked when it goes in on that side. But the way he curls it sort of the opposite way, because it was a left footer going um, across the goalkeeper, he, he really does hit the side netting. So it was a very good strike, I do have to say. Um, Ian Matson with a very good finish as well, which shouldn't go under the radar because semi Dane pulled off a really good save. It was pushed wide and quite wide, really. You, you know, when goals like this go in, you tend to go, keeper's got to push it further wide. It was quite wide. It's just a really good half volley finish from Matson, in my opinion. And then the third goal was a bit of a shambles defensively where Jimmy Dunn's tried to chest it back to, to Dieng. Nathan Teller's nipped him, rounded uh, the goalkeeper and, and just slotted it in. Teller, of course, coming in on the left-hand side for Anas Zaruri, who is currently away with Morocco, although he's not played a minute. The same with Ilias Chair, who wasn't available for Queen's Park Rangers. Probably um, enjoyed themselves, though. Yeah, I can imagine so, but... <laughs> Uh, it's a chance for other players, though, because obviously Teller and Goodmanson probably... Teller's started, obviously, quite a lot, but Goodmanson's been in and out of the team. Um, he's in a battle with Benson. Teller, as well, is in a battle to get in one of those wide spots. So, him, if Zeruri's away and he's scoring goals, then it's, and Goodmanson the same, then it'll be interesting to see who company picks when they come back. But, yeah, I thought Burnley were really impressive. Still think they're going to win the league, and I think this break is only going to have made them far stronger. Scott Twine, as well, came off the bench, which is good for them to see he can get up to speed as well. So Burnley've got so many options in that attacking three that they like to operate with. So I'm um, sort of nothing that convinces me that Burnley aren't as strong as they were before the break. No, definitely not. You know, they're a team that, you know, could threaten, I think, to possibly pull away before too long. I think they've got that much quality and abundance. And, you know, a quick glance at the table, you know, for, for pretty much every team now, with the exception of one or two who have got games in hand, we are now one game away from the halfway mark of the season. If Burnley win that, they've taken 47 points in the first half of the campaign. I mean, to be three points shy of 50 potentially at the halfway mark, you're getting not about promotion reform like that. They're eight points clear of third now. Three points clear of Sheffield United in second. Lost two in 22 games. Goal difference of 20. You know, what? what's not to like about this Burnley team? It really is a question. What is not to like? Burnley have been, they've been rampant, haven't they? All right, they started a little bit slowly at the start of the season. There were a few iffy draws in there. When you think back to the draws at home with with Hull, Blackpool, uh, Luton as well. You know, they drew at West Brom, they drew at Preston. But they've got going. And for me, you know, we were talking at the start of the season, with the exception, the outlier being that 5-1 away win at Wigan. You know, up until that 4-0 win over Swansea on the 15th of October, so not even two months ago, (laughs) <laughs> excuse me, they were only winning games by one goal, one or two goals. Now they're really starting to turn the screw and put teams to the sword. And that's what I like about them. You know, they scored four against Swansea. They scored four against Sunderland. 
They scored three against Rotherham, albeit obviously that was in dramatic fashion. They did concede two. Three against Blackburn, three at QPR today as we record on Sunday afternoon. They're flying. They really are. And like you say, I think the thing that makes it, you know, the best thing about this Burnley team for Vincent Company, he's got such an array of options and he's got so many players chipping in with the goals. That's the thing. If you've got a team where everybody's chipping in left, right and centre, you're only heading in one direction. That's exactly what Burnley are doing. And, you know, Vincent Company came in, obviously, in this country with a great pedigree as a player. But you imagine how much he must have learned from, you know, being managed by Pep Guardiola, Manuel Pellegrini, people like that when he was at Manchester City. We will have learned so much from. He went to Anderlecht to, to begin his coaching career, did a good job. Obviously, the Belgium, you know, the Belgian league, I'm not an expert in it, but by all accounts, he did well over there. And Burnley took a punt on him. They tried to, try to modernise the club a little bit, something a little bit different, obviously, after so many years under Sean Dyche. And it's working a treat. You know, they're playing some lovely football. They're scoring goals at a really good rate now. And, you know, like I say, if they win that that next game of theirs, which takes them to the halfway point of the season, and they, and they win that, that's 47 points at the halfway mark. Three points shy of 50 at halfway by Christmas. That is very, very good going. And, you know, I think, you know, with that gap slowly beginning to open up now to third place, I think it, you know, it's a now a task of, is anybody going to be capable of bringing them back to within shooting distance? And I don't think they're going to be. From a QPR point of view, they were rock bottom of the form table before the weekend. Obviously, another defeat only further, in fact, only enhances that form. Mick Beale's gone. Neil Critchley's obviously the heavy favourite. It, I feel like he's been rumoured for a while and it's not got done, which does concern me a little bit. Do you think it would be a good move to bring him in? Obviously, he's, he's re- he was relatively pragmatic as a coach at Blackpool, but equally, I don't want to pigeonhole him based on one set of players. Ultimately, that Blackpool squad didn't have a lot of attacking talent. The way they were going to win games was by being more defensive, more pragmatic. Could he adapt to a QPR team that undoubtedly has more attacking talent? Well, it's a big question, isn't it? And, you know, it's a situation that needs resolving quickly. And obviously, you know, the recent pause that we've had would have been the prime opportunity to try and resolve it. I know, obviously, it's it's not it, you know it's not a not a task and a, and a problem that can be solved just like that. It's got to take time, but you do have to question with the you know there's some decent managers out there at the minute. Critchley, obviously, being the obvious one, it makes you wonder why it's taken a while and has that hit a potential snag. But you know, I think back to this QPR thing, and I've just checked up on it. The the first time that we heard speculation of Mick Beale moving on when the, the whole Wolves thing kicked off, that was the 19th of October. QPR played that night and won. No, not won then, they play, think, they? then they played on the Saturday against Wigan and won that one. But they've not won since. So they are, you know, they are now, I think, six games without a win. They've lost four in a row. They've only scored one goal in that time and that was against Huddersfield. They've scored one goal now in six matches. It's a real concern for a team that obviously was doing so, so well at the at the beginning of the season. And you do have to question just how much disruption did all the speculation around McBeal with Wolves. And then obviously he was staying. And a few weeks later, he goes to Rangers. It really does, you know, make a lot of, a lot of questions need to be asked about QPR's hierarchy and the fact that could they have dealt with this better? Could they have brought somebody in quicker to, to move the situation on? 
it, it's not a healthy situation. Before they potentially put in a contingency plan, given the interest, you would have. But dramatically, the, the the crazy thing is QPR. They're still only three points off the playoffs. That's the thing with how how tight this race is going to be. It's not a case of all of a sudden their playoff hopes are over or anything like that. Neil Critchley, you know, if it is to be him that comes in and it, and he does the sort of job that he did at Blackpool where he did a tremendous job over a few years, you know, they, they could easily finish in the top six because they've proven at the start of this season they've got the players capable of playing a nice brand of football and, and getting results. But when you're on a run of four consecutive defeats, five defeats in six, one goal scored in six, and I think that's the most concerning start of the lot, one goal in six games, that is really, really bad. It's how quick can you get out of a rut like that? Because that is concerning. That is a really, really poor trend. So you look forward now and, you know, it doesn't get any easier for them. They've got Preston away next weekend. That's going to be really hard. Preston will be full of confidence after, obviously, their win at the weekend. Then they've got Cardiff away. Again, not easy place to go. Then Luton at home to close out the year. So big, big period coming up for QPR. But the biggest thing they've got to do is find somebody to fill that dugout seat with the manager's name on it. You know, it's gone on a little bit too long for my liking. Not going to claim to be an expert in appointing managers because I don't know the full details of, you know, everything that's got to be done, every contract that's got to be signed, every piece of paperwork, every financial agreement, you go on. But they've, they've got to speed this process up. They need somebody because by all accounts, they, they yeah, admittedly up against a good team today, but another really flat, torrid performance. Absolutely. Sheffield United, they got back to winning ways. Um, they beat Huddersfield Town 1-0 at Bramall Lane. They're level, they were level on points with Burnley, I should have said, for 24 hours after their win. Of course, Burnley now three points clear again. It was a narrow 1-0 win, but relatively comfortable. I didn't realise Billy Sharp hadn't scored since March. I know obviously he's not played a lot this season with McBurney's form and also injuries that he had at the back end of last season, but um, that that caught me off guard that stat. I didn't realise it had been quite that long. Lovely approach play by newly crowned World Cup veteran Illumin and Jai. Um, fantastic skill for him to just break out of that pack of players as we've seen so many times. Lovely slip ball. Really nice finish from Sharp just dinking it left-footed over the goalkeeper. A wily finish, I would suggest. And I thought Sheffield United were decent value. They've obviously got a few more players back, which is nice to see. Jaden Bogle and Max Lowe were on the bench. Kieran Clark was back in the team. Still missing a lot going forward with um, Bernie was on the bench with Kadra, but they were without Tommy Doyle, John Fleck, and Xander Berg was on the bench, which is good as well. So, so I had to get some players back, but still not at full strength. But a good win, a clean sheet at home, which has been in relatively short supply of late, given the the three they conceded against Blackpool and the, uh, the goals they conceded against Burnley. And who was the other one where they had a mental game against them? I'm forgetting. Norwich. 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 Yep, the two all against Norwich. So, clean sheet at home, three points, Yorkshire Derby, jobs are good in, and a good result for Paul Hecking bottom side. Yeah, jobs are good in. Simple as that. It's probably the best way to put it. You know, it's it's back-to-back wins. It's it's four wins in, no, five wins in six now. You know, they're, they're, they're doing the job, aren't they? It's as simple as that. They're doing the job for what they want to achieve. Billy Sharp back in the goals, really important for him. And, you know, the thing is for Sheffield United, weirdly enough, you just said that obviously clean sheets have been, you know, not been in, in great supply at home recently. But oddly enough, it was their fourth clean sheet in the last six because they've been pretty good away from home with the clean sheets, three and three in the last three away. So, you know, defensively, they've been good of late. And I think, to be honest with you, Sheffield United, even though they're on a good run going into the break, 
it probably came at the right time for them with the amount of injury issues that they got, particularly in defences. We've documented time and time again this season. So they should only kick on now. I mean, Illumin and Jai's returned from the World Cup. Yeah, he, he, you know, he got a few, a couple of games, give or take, play against England out in the round of 16. Probably the biggest relief for Hecking Bottom was, that, you know, he didn't return injured. He, there was nothing like that. He's returned unscathed and straight back into the team and, you know, provided the assist for Billy Sharp to, to get back in the goals. And what a lovely finish that was as well, it must be said. That was Billy Sharp, his very best, rolling back the years and, you know, doing what Billy Sharp does. He's, he's a predator in the box, isn't he? You know, he can score all types of goals and that was a, one of his best, to be honest with you. A lovely chip over Lee Nichols. And he just kept the run going, you know. Jobs are good and literally, as you said, I think that is the best way to sum that up. Nothing too fancy. Just three points in the bag, clean sheet onto the next one. Five points clear a third. Good weekend for the Blazers, really. From a Huddersfield point of view, it's only one game, but again, similar pattern. Not awful at the back, but just no spark and attack. And that's something that I'm hoping in the coming games, obviously it's not easy to play Sheffield United, one of the best teams in the league, but I'm hoping when they play some you know, nicer opposition on paper, we'll start to see a little bit more in possession from Huddersfield, patterns of play, um, attacking movements. I think that's got to be the, the focus for... Mark Fotheringham at the moment because defensively they're not they're not awful but they're just not scoring any goals and they don't look like they're going to score any goals before the break. Obviously, I'm not judging them on one performance but they didn't pose a massive threat here but that doesn't mean they won't in the games to come. So hopefully, they have been working on those sort of things in the break and that, that bears some fruit because otherwise, I find it very difficult to see them picking up points. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the stats speak for themselves, don't they? They've scored two goals in the last five games. And that was when they won 2-1 at QPR. So they failed to score in four of the last five. So it isn't great, let's be honest. I think they've only actually scored in two of the last eight games, I think. It might be seven or eight. And, you know, it's not good. It isn't good. But you have to remember, Huddersfield in attack are not blessed with top-end championship players anymore for the, you know, the development of the overall league. So... They need some speed, I think, for me. I think that's the most important. They need some speed. They need a little bit of creativity, a bit of a bit of a bit of a shining light to come in and provide a bit of magic. So it's kind of they've got to get to January, almost limp to January, and hope for the very best. But at the same time, they've got to still try and fight for the points, you know, every step of the way. And you know, had they have equalised at Bravo Lane on, on Saturday, we would have been waxing lyrical about what a fantastic result any Huddersfield fan would have taken a point before kickoff. And you know. The scoreline, yeah, they'll be disappointed. They'll rightly point out, yeah, we've got nothing from it. But they certainly weren't disgraced against one of the best sides in the division. So, hopefully, they can use it, you know, as a bit of a springboard to, to build things on. They've only lost one in three. You've got to remember that as well. Won two in the last five games. They've won two of the last six. So, you know, it's not as if it's spiralling out of control sort of thing where they're losing week in, week out. But they do remain rooted to the bottom. And they are five points adrift. So, They've got to try and get something from somewhere. But you do feel that January is going to be the period that makes or break their season. Big win for Bristol City. They beat Rotherham United 3-1 at the New York Stadium. Poor runner results before the break. Rotherham not in much better form, if we're being honest. But Bristol City were the ones that took advantage here. Interesting team selection, I thought. Andy King playing in the middle of a back three was not what I expected. Especially with Rob Atkinson on the bench. Andy Vyman, I know he's played at wing-back quite a bit recently, but again, Vyman, arguably your biggest goal threat playing at wing-back. Cam Pring playing in the back three as well, when probably a left-back or a left wing-back. So it was a very strange team, but 
it got the job done. Conway and Wells caused problems up front, and it was uh, Wells's cross that that Wes Harding decided to kick into his own goal. It wasn't great defending, was it? Really, he should have dealt with it. Um, but unfortunately, that was an own goal. Pretty similar move for the second goal as well, where Johansson gets a bit of a finger on it, but it hits Williams and goes in. And then Campering added a third. Of course, Rotherham did equalise through Chibozio Bene. That was not, just not great defending. I'm still not convinced by Bristol City defending. I, I feel like I'm just, every single time I say something half nice about Bristol City, I'm just like, but they can't defend. And it, I still find it bemusing how they've not sorted that out. Because, like, Obene is about, what, 5'7", if I'm being relatively kind, probably. And he's, he's just a free he's, header. He's, he's, not a big, he's not a big lad. He's not a big lad at all. No, and well, he obviously had the well. level, but then Bristol City took it forward, of course, got the goals, got the three points, and it's, a, it's an important win for them, which which obviously stops the rot somewhat for Nigel Pearson. Yeah, without a doubt. It was a you know a victory that they really, really needed because Bristol City, for me, they've, they've probably been one of the most underwhelming sides in the division this season. They started reasonably well when they'd obviously, you know, they got the likes of Tommy Conway and Naki Wells and, and, and Vyman pulling the strings, scoring the goals, but over the last few weeks, they well months really, they've you know they've been on a downward spiral. Things have really, really gone badly defensively. Obviously, they've been absolutely atrocious. But big win for them on Saturday. It, you know, it ended a five-game winless run that at the New York Stadium. So a big, big victory for them. They are. If you look to the positives, having said that that was the first win in five, you can flip it. And say they they are unbeaten in three now, but they had drawn the two games prior to the uh, prior to the World Cup break. So it's a step in the right direction. Nothing more. Don't want to get too carried away. Rotherham, of course, have been have been poor at home recently. Let's not forget. But you've got to give credit where credit's due. And Bristol City went there, and they got a three-one away win in the Championship. Which you know, regardless of where you go in the Championship, a three-one away win is never a bad result. And you know, it, it lifted them above Rotherham in the table. And all of a sudden, you know, they're only three points off 11th. It's that tight. So, for Nigel Pearson now, I think the objective for him is clear. They've got to try and kick on from this. Because we, we said that about when they won at West Brom. And that was on the 18th of October. And Saturday's win was their first win since. So, the challenge for Bristol City now is to try and put, you know, a string of results together. They've not won back-to-back games since September. And that was at the very start of September with the previous win coming at the very end of August. So, that's the objective for them now, just to try and find a level of consistency. But, you know, they'll take confidence from that, having, you know, had four weeks without any game time to have come back in, got a win on the board. It's it's what every team would have dreamt of when they went to bed on, on Friday night. So, for Bristol City, the challenge is simple. It's just a case of build on that and you look ahead to their next game, Stoke at home next Saturday. It's a game they could win. Stoke is stuttering at the minute. Bristol City, you know, have, have certainly done... Okay-ish at home recently, so they'll be targeting three points from that one. But uh, you know, it's it's a step in the right direction, but it's as obvious as anything. They've got to now build on it. It's nothing more than that if they don't. Rotherham have got twelve points from thirteen games since Matt Taylor came through the door. Now, of course, they were never going to maintain the standard of form and the positioning they were under when Paul Ward left. Of what top ten in the table. But three wins, three de- three defeats, uh, four defeats. Sorry, no, sorry, three wins, three draws. The rest defeats. Get there in the end. Get your teeth in. How, what would you surmise from those thirteen games? For me, it's just that they desperately need a striker in January to play up front with Ogbené. When they don't have Ogbené, they look like a League One side, in my opinion. Although they've got some good individuals, 
It concerns me the fact that they've got Ogbené, Barlazer that are both out of contract in the summer and they've been offered contracts and it seems they are, they will probably sell them in January from some comments I read recently from Matt Taylor at a fans forum. If they don't get them signed up, they're not really willing to let them go for free at the end of the season. And I struggle to believe that no matter fee, what fees they get, are Rotherham United going to be able to attract the quality of player that could replace them regardless of money? My gut feeling is no. No, I think I'd have to agree with that. I mean, when you, when you look at that Rotherham squad on paper, with the utmost respect, it is it is probably the weakest in the Championship, to be fair. You know, there are flashes of quality. I think it's stronger I mean, than Blackpool's. Not so sure, personally. I like Barnes. Not so sure. Like but I was just literally going to say, you know, like, with the, probably the exception of Wiles, Barlazer, and Ogbené, they're your three standout go to men in that Rotherham team that, you know, if you were to take them out, they would struggle even more. But Absolutely. like you said, they are missing a striker massively. I mean, absolutely no disrespect to Tom Eves and Connor Washington. I'm quite happy to disrespect Tom Eves because I think he's garbage. <laughs> Fair enough. I like to remain a level of professionalism. He's just not very good. You just prefer to go in hard. I'm just going to say how it is. He's not a championship level striker. No, he's not. But, you know, I was going to try and give him a little bit more respect than you have. But moving on anyway. Fair enough. But no, I mean, you know, that forward line... Eves, Washington, Georgie Kelly, even though Kelly's obviously got the bit of a cult hero status at Rotherham, they, you know, they do really, really like him there. It is not a pool of strikers that are going to score you vast amount of goals to you know keep you in the championship. So it's obvious that they're going to need that to address that in January. But, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's almost like one of the old football cliches. We all know signing a striker does not come easily. Everybody wants them, especially mid-season. And, you know, the, the chances are Rotherham are going to have to go down the route of probably sourcing an unknown youngster from a Premier League club on loan, which you never know. They might unearth somebody special like Preston did with Cameron Archer 12 months ago. But, you know, for every Cameron Archer, there, there's been many more flops. So I was hoping very... you were going to give me a name then for every Cameron Archer. There's a... I, couldn't, I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. I didn't want to embarrass myself, so I just went with a safe option. That's boring. Yeah, that's me all over the minute, in your eyes. Yeah, he's nodding his head. Thought he might. Well, no, let's be honest. They they do need reinforcements and attack, but I don't know. For, for Matt Taylor, like you say, he was never going to be able to go in there and be able to keep up the same level of, of pressure and quality that Paul Warner obviously stilled into them for, for so many years. And, you know, rather let's not forget, they had, a, they had a really good start to the season. They lost one of their first six games. They had a really good start. And then it just started to... No, one... I should rephrase that, one of their first nine games, I should say. And then obviously the wheels came off a little bit when Warren moved on. So, you know, they've got to try and sort things out. But I think the big concern for me is the fact that the way their home form's fallen off of late. It's, it's three home defeats now in a row. They, you know, and, they, and they've conceded nine goals in that time as well. So they are starting to struggle at the New York. And Matt Taylor's admitted quite a lot that they are going to rest on their home form to keep them in the league this season. Unless they turn that around, I think they're going to really struggle because they are beginning to slowly sink down the ladder. And even though they're 17th and there's quite a few, you know, quite a few teams between them and the bottom three currently, they are only three points above West Bromwich Albion in 22nd, who play on Monday night as we record on Sunday. So, you know, if West Brom win that, 
it's, uh, it could make it look even worse for Rotherham. They've got a lot of work to do, and, but similarly to Huddersfield, it could be January that uh, you know decides their season. Middlesbrough, they got their first win at home under Michael Carrick and it was another late winner from Matt Crooks that lifts them up to 12th in the table. Only a few points off the playoff places now for Carrick's side who, uh, you know, you probably thought the break came at their own time with them given the momentum they built with uh, four wins on the trot. I think it was before the four-week period. And now, first home win. On the chances created in this game, I think they were good value to win it. I think Luton probably are feeling like they deserved a point maybe as well. Um, I thought it was poor defending, though, I have to say, for the opening goal for Luton. I thought um, Clark was allowed. It was a bit too easy to side sidestep Hayden Hackney and then Johnny Housen and just sort of walk onto his left foot. Really good strike, it has to be said. And then Burris sort of kicked into life a little bit and Chew Brackpom's um, rejuvenation continues, coming up with the goods. It's hard to remember too many players that have had a, sort of a comeback story like this where out alone, come back, not really wanted, but then scores a few goals in pre-season, so stays, and then becomes like their best player. Like moving him into that number 10 role, which looking at his sort of physique and what I know about him, he doesn't scream number 10 to me. So all the credit to Michael Carrick. That's why he's managing Middlesbrough and I'm recording a podcast because he's seen that in the player, the skill set he's got. And he's absolutely thriving and he's scoring goals and he's been a really crucial player for Middlesbrough. He's probably been the standout player during this period under Carrick. And clearly they've got a bit of bite and a bit of, you know, they've quite a bit of resolve to get these well, results. Crooks again with the, with another late winner in added time. And that was obviously after Amari Bell had been sent off for two yellow cards on Isaiah Jones. So that was sting plenty for Luton and, and a first defeat for Rob Edwards. But Middlesbrough doing really well, not far off the playoffs now and, just seem to be have that knack to just get over the line, which is, is not a bad trait to have. The Tube Rackbomb show, that's what it's turned out to be at Middlesbrough. I cannot believe the transformation in that player. You know, did you actually realise that with that goal against Luton on Saturday that he's now the joint top scorer in the Championship this season? I did not. Yeah, nobody has scored more than Tube Rackbomb. The interesting thing as well is, 10 goals. I mean, we're recording this in the middle of Watford versus Hull, which, as I speak, is still nil-nil. Only, you know, he scored nine goals, the same as nine of the players in the league. But the interesting thing for him is he's done it in fewer games than anyone else. 15 matches he's played in this season and he's scored nine. I mean, the likes of Njai, Brereton Diaz, Jerry Yates, 22 games, Scott Hogan, 21, Jay Rodriguez, 18, Jokeres, 20. It makes it all the more impressive. And, you know, prior to Michael Carrick coming in, I think he'd got three goals or four goals, one of the two. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's had a direct goal involvement in every game Carrick's been in charge of so far. So, you know, the decision to move him into that number 10 position, <coughs> excuse me, absolute masterstroke. And it is bringing the best out of everyone else in that Middlesbrough team because they, they are flying at the minute in terms of confidence and momentum. And, you know, could Middlesbrough be be a bit like Nottingham Forest last season in the sense they could kind of make a storm up through the league? Not saying they're going to push the automatics all the way, but all of a sudden, you know, they're four points off the top six. They're right in the conversation. If you're saying that, you know, Luton are in there, Sunderland are in there on equal points, you've got to include Middlesbrough for where they've come from. So really impressive, you know, result for them. They kept fighting until the end. Matt Crooks with a late winner, obviously, you know, they were helped with the red card. That gave them a numerical advantage. But Burnley, uh, 
I mean, Middlesbrough, you know, so far under Carrick, they're looking a really good side. It's, it's you know, it's it's three wins in a row. It's four wins in five under him now, five unbeaten since that opening day, uh, opening game defeat at Preston he had. Big test though is next, Burnley. That is a really big game for him. And, you know, if he can topple them and spring a surprise, who knows what they could be capable of. Big game for them. Then Wigan at home on Boxing Day. You know, big big period coming up for Middlesbrough. If they can end the year strong, you know, 2023 could be a hell of a lot brighter for them than 2022 has been. Certainly the second half of 2022 anyway. Absolutely. Swansea nil, Norwich City won. So, uh, let's be fair, Swansea did not deserve to lose this game of football. No. Very, no unlucky, very unlucky not to get something from this game. A very early Timu Puki goal was the difference, but I think a draw at the very least was what Russell Martin's side deserved. If you look at the expected goals numbers, uh, 2.54 for Swansea, 0.86 for Norwich. So that tells its own story that the quality of chance that Swansea had was incredibly high, but they were met by good goalkeeping from Angus Gunn and also some wasteful finishing from themselves. Norwich will be happy with how they grounded out and obviously that win lifts them up to fourth, I think it is, in the table. Very good result for them after obviously four weeks off and losing to Middlesbrough before the break. But I think Swansea, it's fair to say, will will play worse and win this season. Oh, without a doubt, they'll play worse and win. No doubt about it. But I, I suppose it is the the nature of the championship, isn't it? And everybody at some point in a season experiences a defeat in the way Swansea did and a victory in the way Norwich did. But I think for Dean Smith, I think, you know, even though it wasn't pretty, he will just be relieved that they've come out from the pause, got a win, got a clean sheet. And it's just a simpler case of on to the next one. Let's build on it. They really, really needed it. But, you know, for Russell Martin, he'll be wondering how on earth his side have not got anything from that game. They, they couldn't have done any more. And it's, it's always one of those where I think as a football fan, Similarly to England, in a way, on on um, Saturday night against France, you know, if they've given it their all and they couldn't have done any more, you can be gracious in defeat and accept it. And I think that's what Swansea fans would have gone away thinking. Yeah, they'll be disappointed, but they couldn't knock the players' efforts. Russell Martin clearly nailed his tactics to fashion the amount of chances they created. So you know, it's just one of those things in you know in a championship season that happens. And let's see how they how they recover from it. They're still in a good position, tenth in the table, three points off the playoffs. Long way to go. I still think overall, I think Swansea have had a, a you know a, a solid start to the season. Probably solid is probably the best word for Swansea. And then finally, Reading won Coventry nil. Really good win for Reading against a, an informed Cov side. The break probably didn't come at the right time for Mark Robbins' team. In truth, manager first. Yeah, not a lot in Again. this game. At all, apart from a header from Amadou Mbengo, who signed in the summer from Mets. We've not seen a lot of him this season, so he's coming to the side. Played on the left of a back three, he's only 20, and he seemed quite clearly delighted with, with his first Reading goal, which uh, was the, the separator between these two sides. Coventry, probably a point they'll feel would have been fair. Reading will feel that they certainly... Coventry can't argue that they won. I don't think there was a lot in the game in truth, so a set-piece probably fair to decide it. And I think we need to just check ourselves and give some credit to Reading because 32 points from 22 games is far better than I think either of us expected for Reading to produce in their opening half of the season. 22 points from 11 at home as well. So they've got two points per game at the Carl Leasing Stadium, which is fantastic. And 32 from 22 is a great return for Paul Ince. Far better than what we expected when the season started. Obviously, I tipped them to go down. 
and they've certainly continued to defy expectations, and they will stay up because the the away form's not brilliant, but it's not horrific either. But the home form is very good. I think it's the fourth best record at the time of recording in the division. So twenty two from eleven at home, and quite a lot of those are to nil from memory. That that's going to be more than good enough to have you competing in the top half of the table. And Reading are currently uh, what are they ninth, I think. So eighth, eighth. So certainly not out of the picture playoff-wise, although I think we both say that we don't expect them to get there. And neither do Reading fans, but it's nice to enjoy the ride after yeah. a couple of horrible seasons. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I owe Paul Ince a massive apology. I really do, because I said throughout the summer that I was, you know, expecting him to be the first manager sacked in the Championship this season. He's probably one of the longest serving by now with the way the manager Murray go round has gone round this season. But, you know, he's done a... Do he's done a probably is in the top ten. He probably is. When was it he got the job initially? Probably about March time, February, March, something like that, maybe a little bit before. But no, I mean, he's, you know, he's done very, very well this season and Reading have done really well. And, you know, to beat a Coventry team that have been flying prior to the break, you know, there's no uh, no shame in that. So, brilliant result for him. Two points off the playoffs. As the halfway mark is now a week away. Reading fans probably can't believe what they're witnessing, to be fair. They're probably enjoying it. Obviously, they, you know, they, they got that last gasp win at Hull prior to the World Cup break, literally at the very last kick of the of the game. And, you know, that will have given them a great deal of confidence going in going into the break because prior to that, they were winless in four. So, you know, their form since the start of October has not been brilliant. They've only won three games since October the 1st when they beat Huddersfield. They've only won three games since then. So, you know... They've not had things brilliantly recently, which, you know, is testament to the start they made at the very, very beginning of the season. And I think the one thing that I would like to go away and check out after this, which I think I will, is how many clean sheets they've already kept in comparison to the whole of last season. I wouldn't be surprised if they've already beaten it. I really wouldn't. I don't know the numbers offhand at the minute. There's your homework. Well done. It is my there's homework. Your, there's your homework for the week. Definitely. That'd be a quick and easy one, that one. But no, I think I think they've certainly very much run it close or probably surpassed it already. But, you know, overall, great win. And, you know, next up for them, Friday night, Birmingham City away, which, you know, will be another tough test, but probably not an impossible one to overcome. It could be quite a quite an even interesting game, that one, actually, on Friday night. But for Paul Ince, you know, what, what a great run they're on at the minute in terms of the start of the season they've made. As I say, for Birmingham, we have about a halfway mark. If their halfway mark point is 35 points from 23 games, Reading fans would probably consider that a, a success, whatever happens the rest of the season. So, very good position to be in. And, you know, back-to-back wins now, even though they've been a few weeks apart. Coventry, George, off the pitch, we need to talk about. Obviously, they're waiting for the takeover of local businessman Doug King to go through. But, of course, big news this week. Issues with the stadium again. Obviously, the the... Uh, Coventry Building Society Stadium has now been taken over by the Fraser Group, which is owned by Mike Ashley, having obviously been in administration under the previous owners relating to WASPs. So Mike Ashley's Fraser Group have it now, and they have given an eviction notice to Coventry City because the licence that was agreed with the the, the WASPs company that owned the stadium before, they're saying they need to agree a new licence. Coventry have said that Obviously, as you'd expect with Mike Ashley, that 
they want better terms and they obviously it's going to it's going to financially implicate the football club to to agree to a new license they're quite happy with the the old terms which i think they had thought they got some verbal assurances over that that would still stand once the takeover went through clearly not the case and right now we don't know i don't think they play again until the 17th at home but we don't know where they're going to play that game of football. And that's just happened too many times this season and it's just a bit of a joke. It certainly has. And, you know, in, in this situation, you cannot help but feel sorry for Mark Robbins and the players. And, of, of course, the fans as well. They're, you know, they're the ones who spend that hard-earned money on supporting this club. And what great support Coventry have got, it must be said. But it's just a situation that whatever way it's going to be solved and whatever conclusion they reach, it's got to try and be done as quickly as they possibly can. It isn't fair as I say on Mark Robbins and the players. And, and it's not fair on the rest stuff. of the championship as well, which I know I no. know the rest of the championship is not the the main victim of this story. Of course it's not, but it's it's not right for the integrity of the competition that this keeps happening. No, well. it's not. It's not because, you know, it, it creates uncertainty over travel arrangements, doesn't it? And where, you know where um players are playing these games, what ground and and all that sort of thing, the logistics of it. So it's just a really, really poor situation. I just feel for Coventry because they've been through the mire so, so much. And the daft thing is, through all the upheaval of off-field trouble, they've made such strides on the pitch in the last four or five years from where they were. You know, they went all the way into League Two. They were playing at six fields, the home of Northampton. Then obviously the spell at Birmingham. Then they get back eventually to the, the Coventry Building Society Arena. You think it's all sorted and then we've got all the, the upheaval that we've seen this season. Obviously, at the start of the season, the problem with the pitch after the you know after the rugby that had happened in the summer. It's just been a nightmare for him, hasn't it? It has been an absolute nightmare. And it, all of it is out of the hands of the players and, the, you know, Mark Robbins and his immediate coaching team and, and the supporters, of course. So I just hope they can find a solution one way or another because... I just feel so sorry for him because, you know, through all the upheaval and all the problems, they've been on a remarkable rise. And it may, you know, in a way, it makes the job that Mark Rummers has done all the more incredible, really. All the background noise, all the issues going off behind him. He's just kept his, kept his focus on his, on his own job and what he can control. And, you know, they lost at the weekend. Disappointing. But, you know, they've been on a good run of late. You can't, you can't you know... You can't begrudge a team having an off day. It happens in the championship, as we all know, only too well. Absolutely. For three draws in the championship, there was Stoke City 2, Cardiff 2. Some nice taking goals in this one. I thought Stoke looked better in attack in the 4-2-3-1 shape. Liam Delap and Tyrese Campbell scoring for them. But defensively, again, both goals were very soft to give away, particularly the Cardiff second, I thought, on the counter-attack. Millwall 1, Wigan 1. Interesting first game for Colo Torre. Wigan were... 4-2-3-1, very similar to how they were under Liam Richardson. A very similar setup. Nathan Broadhead leading the line with Lying McLean and Will Keane in attack. The goal was quite fortunate, obviously, with the way it ricocheted back to Will Keane. They finished, but I also thought, do you think Jones should have done slightly better for the Fleming equaliser? I think it's a good strike, to be fair. It's a good strike. relatively at him. But I can see where you're coming from. It was, you know, it was pretty straight, wasn't it? The, you know, the direction of the ball and the angle was, you know, it's quite favourable for a keeper. But I don't know, was it a case of the power was just maybe a little bit too much? Probably. I don't know. But cracking strike, to be fair. 
yeah, and a decent point on the road for Wigan in Colatori's first game. And then Blackpool nil, Birmingham nil. Now, Josh, do you remember when Luton won 1-0 against Blackpool and we don't know how Blackpool didn't score? Yeah, how did Birmingham not score? How did Birmingham not score? This was the exact no opposite, opposite for this game because Birmingham were by far the better side. They had a goal ruled out, which should have stood. Maxine Collin very harshly ruled out for two players that were offside, but judged to be interfering with play, which I think is clutching at straws. And I think Michael Appleton will be very pleased to escape that match with a point. And that rounds off this week's championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Shocks and Bankers time, George. Now I should mention as well that we obviously there is a Monday night game between Sunderland and West Brom. And equally at the time of recording, we've had to do our recording a little bit earlier this week. So it's currently nil-nil between Watford and Hull. So that's why we haven't analysed that those two games. George, what have you got for your shock and your banker for next weekend? Well, for my shock, I'm going to go quite brave with this one. I've, got, I've just got a sneaky feeling about it. I'm going to go for Huddersfield to beat Watford at home. Just got a, just one of those feelings in the waters where you think something could happen. Seems to think Huddersfield have given Watford one or two shocks down the years in the Championship as well. So I'm going to go for the Terriers to win that one at the John Smiths on Saturday afternoon. Uh, for my banker, I'm going to go for another home win. I'm going to go for West Brom to win at home to Rotherham. Obviously, we've not seen West Brom play since the restart, but they had picked up, you know, just before the World Cup under Carlos Corbran. Rotherham, as we know, have been struggling lately. So uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to go for a baggies win on, on their own patch. I've got West Brom to beat Rotherham as well as my banker. I just think that Rotherham, not in the greatest form, full stop. Certainly not the best <laughs> side away from her. West Brom under Carlos Corbran. Pretty solid. I could see a, a, a one or two nil victory. I certainly think that I could see West Brom winning to nil. So I, I would go for West Brom to beat Rotherham. That's my banker too. My shock, I'm going for Middlesbrough to get something at Burnley. I know I've waxed lyrical about Burnley earlier in the podcast and I do think they are the best side in the division. They look very strong with that result at QPR today. But I struggle for a shock and I look at Middlesbrough in the form they're in. I think they've got the ability to sit in and try and frustrate Burnley. And I think they've got players on the counter-attack in Jones, in Riley McGree, in Akpom, in Force, that can hurt Burnley potentially on transition. I'm not saying Borough will go and win at Turf Moor, but I can certainly see them getting a point. So my shock is for Borough to get something at Burnley, and my banker is West Brom to beat Rotherham United. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts from, for the latest episode every single week and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. We're approaching 7,000 followers. So if you're not following us, make sure to get on that gravy train because uh, plenty of people are enjoying the content and we're very grateful for it as the, the following builds up. So a huge thank you to everyone that is following us. And of course, a massive thank you as always to our sponsors, Cards Accepted for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out for your business needs. If you take car payments, they are the company to go with. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast.